Am I going to be able to not know the score of whatever football game I care about if I get home? And I'll go only if we don't eat. I mean, we have to drive through somewhere to get home to someplace to watch football. I get it. I totally get it. My DVR is on. We are recording stuff. Some of you wore jerseys today, and you're welcome to do so. So some people, a lot, lot fewer in this service than last service because people are like, they came because they could get home to the games last service, 9 o'clock. But you, you are serious about being in church. So thank you for being here. Um, uh, I want to tell you, I have, uh, I'm really, I'm really great. If you're new with us, I just want to tell you uh, a couple things. Um, one is this, and people who are here all the time hear me say this a lot, which is um, we are a group of people who are trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. We are, um, and we are believe in following Jesus and loving people like he showed us to do and calls us to do. And we're 100% certain that none of us in this room does that perfectly. In fact, um, we would say also that none of us has all the answers either. And if you're, uh, if you're a person who is on a journey, we believe Jesus is at work changing us, transforming us, that, but that we're a work in progress. And if you're kind of on that journey and want to join us in something like that, then you're in the right place. Because that's kind of how we see what we're doing here today. So welcome. I know if you, uh, maybe if you, if you came in, uh, my chances are you were unable to, you know, sneak past our greeting ninjas. And they greeted you. And, you, you know, it's like pretty tough to get in here without being greeted. And the reputation of our church really is... One of a bunch of people who are incredibly warm. And so that's, that's always a response I get from people who are brand new. They come to me and say, you know, I, I was really nervous about coming here. And, um, but, man, the people are so kind and so warm and so welcoming. So hopefully that's been your experience. It's always been my experience. I, I love being back here. When I'm away, I miss being here. And uh, I was away last week. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second. But I want to give you just a, little bit, a few updates, a little bit of family, family business, some things you might want to know about, things that are, are happening. Um, one of the things is this, really cool is we got a lot of the financial reports in from last year. Um, we finished the year 2% ahead of budget, which is really good news. Yeah, it's really great. More so, um, what you need to know about that is um, it, it wasn't that everybody, it wasn't that there was one or two really big, super rich people in our church that gave money. It was lots of contributions from a lot of different people who really said, we believe in what God's doing here. We want to be a part of it in the next ministry year. And, and we're seeing what that might look like. So it's really, I have great, great hopes for this next year. I have a really great picture of what God's doing. Um, one of the phrases that we use a lot around our staff for this year has been prepare to be amazed. That there is just some, there's some great stuff we believe is right on the horizon for us. Celebrating what God's done, but believing what's happening in the future. And we're really excited about that. One of those things is we are presently, some of you may not care about this, but some of you really will care. Um, we have set up some teams and we are, we are narrowing down our, our search to find our high school pastor. That's getting, that's the, exactly, woo. So that, that, is getting, that, that pool is getting a lot smaller and we're going to start interviewing some folks. And so you're going to hear more about our high school pastor. And then last you heard Hillary talk about the Refreshing a Marriage Conference. Um, I have gone, I took our staff last year to it. It is really, really fun. It is not, I just want to, for those of you who are guys who are like, listen, I'm not going to something where they make me, you know, stand out there and, you know, just declare my love on a street corner to my wife or something. I just, like, listen, we totally have you guys covered. Guys, I'm talking to guys, husbands, we have you covered. It is not lame. It is really, really cool. That being said, it is also one of my, it's, it's really fun. And I expect, I just would hope that you guys would join us if there's still spots. Um, and um, um, I'm actually, I don't know if this matters to you, this may be a deterrent, <laughs> but I'm actually emceeing it with my wife, so I will be there at this conference as well. If you're like, I don't know anybody, who are these people? You'll at least know me. You, so if you're uncomfortable with me, you can have that familiar uncomfortableness while we're there, all right? So it'll be really cool. Now, great ministry ahead, great year ahead, very excited to be, ba be here, be back. Um, we're in a series called Tune In. Um, and basically, um, it's, this is, this is kind of the premise of the series is that God is actually speaking to people. He's actually in some way or another, we believe this, this might be crazy if you're new with us, not sure about church or whatever. We actually believe that God didn't just set things in motion and disappear, that God is somehow actively involved in our lives. 
And because he's actively involved, he's actually speaking to us in some way or another. And that more often than not, our issue isn't to try to figure out if God is speaking or, or moving at us in some capacity. But rather, it's how do we tune into what he's doing. In other words, this whole series is an affirmation that there's a dimension to reality in which God is in some way communicating or transmitting whatever he's doing, however he's doing that. And that part of our lives is just trying to figure out how do we listen to what he's doing, what he's saying. So what we said a couple weeks ago is the Apostle Paul, I think, put this kind of this idea of tuning in in some really succinct terms. Here's what he says. In Acts 17, he says this to a bunch of Greek philosophers. He says, for in him, meaning Jesus, we live and move and have our being. That the very nature of our lives, how we live them, how we move, how we have our being, all of that live and move and have our being are directly related to our ability, our sense of tuning in to who Jesus is, to who God is. So I guess another way to phrase that is this. Is there anything, we talk about tuning in, is there anything that we can do that makes us us? In other words, is there, is there anything, is there one thing we can do that makes us us. Now, this is kind of an interesting question. This is worth thinking about for a moment. Is there anything we can do that makes us us or makes us more us? Because there's a debate, somewhat loosely, but there's a debate that says, are we just merely the sum of all the things that we can do, the functions, our, 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 our abilities, our performance, all of that kind of stuff, which has its own kind of philosophical limitations? Or are we just merely us because we are, whether or not we ever do anything else? And the question is sort of, is there something that all of creation was intended to do? The Bible will say there's something that all of creation was intended to do. And that what's unique about human beings is, they're the only kind of party in creation that can opt out of this one thing for which all of creation was intended to do. And it's in there, as we wrestle with it a little bit, that maybe that one thing we're asked or called or invited to do is the one thing we're all looking for, particularly as we're searching for who we really are, our identity, our purpose, our meaning, all of that kind of stuff. So with that in mind, let's pray together. Jesus, as we, as we come together, we have a sense of longing to be made whole. There's parts of us that are broken, that have been sabotaged. There's parts that we have lost. And it's our expectation and our hope, our anticipation, Jesus, that you would meet us here and mend us in the places that are broken. Father, today would you help us figure out, at least even a little bit clearer, to get a sense of who we were intended to be. Father, there's so much that is vying for our attention in our lives. That is trying to call us to be connected to it or a part of it. And these are all things that promise, are big on promises, but very, very low on delivery. And so, Father, for just a moment as we gather, as we sit here, and whether or not we're even really fully understanding what we're doing as we're praying right now. Would you speak to us about the things that are vying for our attention in the stillness and in the quiet of this space, Jesus? Would you just speak to us for just a moment? Jesus, would you aim us at you today? In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now. When you came in, you got a bulletin. On the back of that bulletin is an outline. You can follow along there. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, we'll be in Exodus chapter 4. And then we'll be in Psalm 98 at the very end of the message. So if you want to jump, we'll jump around a little bit. But that's pretty much where we'll be uh, if you want to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, don't, know how, don't have it on your phone, you, don't have it, so you, you managed to not pick up a, a bulletin, everything you need will be on the screen. So we'll, we'll just pay attention there. Now, 
um, this past week, I, a place opened up for us. Someone said, you can use our place in, in Utah to go, um, you take your family. It was kind of a last minute thing. So if you read the Compass note, I mentioned this in our little note we send out every week. But um, we, there's this, you can go up and stay there. It'll be great. Go take your family. It'll be awesome. Which means we got to have a family trip, which is differentiated when you take your kids from a family vacation. A family vacation is a myth. When you take your kids, it's just a family trip. Never try to say it's a family vacation unless they're all grown up because that's not a thing. And if you try to go on a trip with your children who are young and you have the expectation that you're going to be well rested and it's going to be a vacation, you are setting yourself up. I heard um, recently someone say, uh, this, say it this way, that when you go on a, this is actually Jerry Seinfeld who said roughly, you know, when you go on a family vacation, family trip, you're basically paying a lot of money to have arguments in new places. That's all you're doing. <laughs> so we went on a family trip. <laughs> now, we drove to Utah, to Park City, Utah, which is where someone had this place. And um, that is a roughly, we did it all in one day. Now, that means that I woke my kids up, at, and by woke my kids up means I tried to keep them in their zombie state. From at about, I woke them up about 3.30 or 4 in the morning. Tried to walk them downstairs. Where am I going, Dad? To the magical place called the minivan. And I just put them, tried to keep them completely asleep so that they would sleep as long as possible. And Amanda, who is my sweet, wonderful wife, would sit next to me in the car. And she would keep me awake through the early dawn hours. And that's how we would just kind of have conversation, a little bit quiet time. And she would just keep me awake. The moment we roll out of the driveway, everybody. <laughs> so it's me and myself by myself with sleeping kids and my sleeping wife driving through the middle of the night. My kids, of course, will wake up at about the, the uppermost left corner of Arizona. Whereas we're crossing into Utah as the sun's coming up. Where are we? I'm like, we're in Utah. Where have you guys been? Now, I don't have, how do I explain this? I have, um, I have, a, pretty, I have a pretty long fuse, but it just ends. Like, I don't have an off-ramp. It's not like, ooh, it sounds like dad might be good. It's just like, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great, I'm terrible. Because at, at the moment we roll, we pull into Park City. My kids are now restless. They've rested. They've been in the car. But they're rested. And I'm like, I have been in a space capsule for the last several hours of this incredible space odyssey we've been on. Ironically, of course, the car we're driving in is called the Odyssey. And we're in this thing, driving along. And the second we get to Park City, Amanda says to me, hey, let's drive around and look at what's here. Because we haven't driven enough. We should do some more driving. That will make it a vacation and not a family trip. Now, again, kids are restless. They're rested. They have energy. And one of the kids, like, like pushes something, like it was like a snowboard or something, into my arm. Now, remember, I have, it's a long fuse. It's just, it's going and going and going. And then pretty soon, it's nothing. And I turn around. God, just like, the wolf man came out, you know. And it was so over the top. But I'm like, I'm, I just, what are you guys doing? Get back out of the car. I'm just like making no sense. It's so over the top. I see out of the corner of my eye, Amanda just doing this real subtly. <laughs> and I, I'm so over the top that my kids start cracking up, which is the worst thing. <laughs> They're laughing. <laughs> okay, dad, whatever. And so I immediately do what all responsible fathers do in that moment. I pull out the death claw. And the closest kid I can find behind me, I just put it on their shoulder and just go, you'll sit down like that. Which only makes the laughter louder and more in my face. I throw the car in park. I jump out of the car. And I go, I can't do it anymore. Now, imagine. 
I'm sure that scene is not all that uncommon for people who live in Park City. Who have seen people who have driven in there and watch a dad just get out of the car. I can't take it. I can't take it. Oh, this is what the real air feels like. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> Running off into the bitter cold snow. You know, that's what I, I mean, that's what it was like. So I'm like, Amanda's like, do you want me to drive? I'm like, yes, I want you to drive. You drive. I can't. And I, that was, that was, that's about all the length of the whole display. That was it right there. You drive. I can't take anymore. And then I got back in the car and I had to immediately then turn to my kids and go, um, I'm really sorry <laughs> for what I did. And um. No excuse for how I handled that. But now here's what I realize. Nobody, which you know this, either you have been on a road trip, high school kids, your parents have dragged you on too far of a drive for too long to go somewhere. You know this. Parents, you have driven your high school kids to that place. You are, you are now either that parent or you've been in that place. But you know something having been in a car for too long. You were not intended to live that long in that kind of a confined space. Mm-mm. Three hours or less or else you, something happens to your soul, Right? What we know is that part of, we were not intended to, we are not intended to live in captivity. We are not intended to live in captivity because in captivity no one can live as the person they were intended to be. Now we chose our captivity. It'll be so great, it'll be a family trip, we'll get everybody in the car and stuff them in there and we'll just drive forever and we'll just be the best, it's going to be awesome. But we're captive nonetheless and nobody lives as they were intended to be when they're a captive. When you see in the Bible, there's this theme that shows up over and over and over again, particularly in the very beginning of the Bible, as, you, as I realized, now, if you're new with us, our church did this year. We committed, every single person in this room who's part of our church committed to read the Bible, the whole thing, in a year. And they are, it's amazing. Everybody's doing it. And they're 100% caught up. It's amazing. <laughs> so great. <clears throat> but because they all know this, they're going to they're all know what I'm talking about right now. Right now we're reading the story of the Exodus. In the Daily Walk Bible. And there's a phrase that comes up over and over and over again. Now in the Exodus, God's people have been in captivity for 400 years, roughly. And God has heard the call of his people. And repeatedly in this, in this narrative, there appears this phrase. Let my people go. Because apparently we can't be the people we were intended to be when we're feeling or living in captivity. And God seems to have a pretty keen eye on what that means. That maybe in some way or another, people in captivity is not what they were intended to live as. Now, I want to pick up the story where we are. This is in Exodus chapter 4, and we'll get a sense of what this looks like. Um, Moses is a guy who's been called by God to lead his people. Moses is a guy who's a Hebrew, raised in the royal courts of Egypt. Then he kills a guy and runs away into the desert because he's afraid of being caught and he's ashamed of it all. So he runs away into the desert. To live for 40 years. And then God shows up to him, famously in a burning bush, and says, I want you to go back and get my people out of there. I've heard their cry. And I want you to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. Now watch this. Here's what it says. Exodus 4. Now, oops, sorry. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for those who wanted to kill you are, kill you are all dead. Now here's what he means. You, you killed that guy and people were kind of ticked off about that. Good news. Those people are dead. All right. Verse 20, so Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and he started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go. Now. I want you to capture, we just get the sense here. God is so about freedom. But what you'll find as we look at this narrative, look at the story, the reason for letting people go 
isn't freedom for freedom's sake. There's another reason why God wants his people to be set free, to be released. Remember, none of us, no person can be the person they were intended to be so long as they're in captivity. And here's God saying, I want you to let my son, my people, the nation of Israel, I want those people to be let go. There's a reason why he does this. In other words, there's a release from something to something. Here's what it says. So he may worship me. So he may worship me. Let my people go for the reason that they may worship me. In other words, if in captivity we cannot be the people we were intended to be, to live as a fully free human being as you were intended to be, it's not just simply to be free for freedom's sake, it's to be a worshiper of God. Seven times you have this phrase show up in the narrative. Let my people go. And seven times it also says this, so that they may worship me. Pharaoh, you're going to have to let my people go for the reason that they might worship me. The whole purpose of being released is to worship God. Now, we have to kind of probably first identify that something kind of clear here probably at this point. But that worship and captivity are at odds with each other. My people are in captivity. They cannot be who they were fully intended to be. They were intended to be worshipers. And because they're captive, they can't do that. And worship and captivity are at odds with each other. There is a greater purpose for which people have been created rather than just simply slave away. There's something else they must do, which is to worship me. Now, let me just give you a definition. I borrowed this from another pastor, but let me just give you a working definition of worship. I like this definition. Worship is the practice or the act of ascribing ultimate value to something, to anything. Which means anything can be given ultimate value in our lives and can be worshipped. People will worship or orient their entire lives. They'll orbit their entire lives around their career. People will orbit their entire lives around an addiction or a habit or a secret. People will make a, a ultimate value of their own performance, their own ability. They'll even ascribe ultimate value for the their greater purpose of their entire life to their own children, which is not what they were intended for. The practice of ascribing ultimate value to anything or anyone is worship. Now, there, the truth is, none of us have to be taught about that. Like, none of us have to have a class on how to ascribe ultimate value to things. We know what it looks like when people ascribe ultimate value to things. Their lives begin to bend around the arc of that thing, whatever it is. Today, there are people who will be sitting in cold stadiums with their shirts off, painted with their team's colors as a way of saying, this is my undying devotion to the thing that gives my life the greatest meaning. You will see people who will sit there and they, when, when their team, as an act of demonstrating that they have allegiance to this particular thing, what they will do is when their team scores, they will celebrate. When their team does not score or when their team is scored upon, they will be sad. When you go to a concert, people are already in love with whatever band it is that they're seeing. I was explaining to our Thursday night service. I was like, I went to this great concert to this band called U2. Have you heard of them? And they were like, I'm not sure if I've... No, 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 don't know. I'm like, it's like the greatest band ever. But I remember being in this, this arena and they start playing and everybody without being even prompted goes like this. Woo, woo. They turned the lights off and everybody started cheering. It was like, this is the greatest moment of our lives. Nobody had to say, and now we're going to ask you to raise your hands and uh, 
Go ahead and yell out as the lights go off. Nobody had to be told. They just knew how to celebrate what was already there. Now, we're in Park City. I did not know. I know many of you are huge fans of this sport. But there is a, um, this is the sixth and final stop on the Bobsled World Cup. So, no, yeah, big time. Huge event down here in Southern California. A lot of people tracking the bobsledders. But we go to this event. It's, we were like, bobsled, who cares? You know, and then it was like, it was a free event. So they're like, you can go and watch this. We're like, we should go. We really should go watch this. And it is amazing. They, they go 80, over 80 miles per hour in this little ice track. And they, the, the security on this event, you're used to being like wanded when you go to a basketball game or something like that. You can just walk right up to the track. The track, just imagine if you're looking at me right here. It's like right here. Like this is, this, I'm on the stage right now, just right there. There's no fence. There's a thing, there's a missile going by you at 80 miles per hour. And you can like, my, my buddy Kyle was like, hold your phone over there and get a video. I'm like, I'm afraid I'll drop it. I mean, if you wanted to sabotage an Olympic event, that's the one you could. Now, nobody watches it because they don't care. But it wouldn't get that much publicity. But you could sabotage. It's so, it's amazing. Now, they, they come by. And this is, this, is, this is what it is to watch a bobsled event. You're like, oh, I hear them coming. <laughs> USA! That's the whole, that's it. That's the whole thing you do. In fact, what they do is the track, you know, has it winds around or whatever. And they, they show you this big board. And on every turn there's a light which shows you, like, kind of indicating where the sled is on the track. Which, by the way, it's not a bobsled, it's a bobsleigh. So let's make sure I get that correct. Anyways, I got corrected a little bit on that. I was like, it's a sled. No, it's a sleigh. That's, a, that's an important distinction. Okay. But here, so every turn has like a light. And you can see the light coming down. It just tells you, that's all you're watching is how fast those lights are coming along. And then you watch it and go by. And that. Now, I have like, I literally have video of like this thing going by. I caught my son looking right here. I wish I would have brought it. But my son is like, you see his face going in slow motion. He sees it, you know, and I slow it down. He's like. And it disappears. It's awesome. Now, at the end, when they all, when they finish, the, I guess USA isn't very good at bobsledding now, but maybe they were at one point, and, you know, I guess they were at the last Olympics, but kind of missed it. So they come into the end, and when they land at the end, this ending place, there's, you know, the media is there and everything else, and everybody gets out, and there's a crowd of people there, and immediately when the USA team gets out of their sled, slay, everybody puts their hands up and cheers and yells. We love the USA. People are chanting USA. And by the way, did you know why people ring cowbells at all those places, like in snowy places? It's because they can't clap. They're wearing mittens and stuff. It just sounds like. <laughs> so they ring a cowbell to make noise. That's how you do it. That's why whenever you're watching the Winter Olympics, like, what's up with the cowbells? Are the Europeans just into the cowbells? Because you're like, we don't have cowbells. That's why. Because you can't clap. So everybody's ringing their cowbell and screaming and yelling, USA, USA. Because they have ascribed at least some value to this thing. And their response is. Woo! Cowbells. Now, we don't, we don't, this isn't, worship isn't something for which we have to kind of go, I wonder if I, I wonder if I know what this is. You know what it is. You have already been a part of worshiping things in your life, whether or not you ever, everybody in the world worships something. Their life orbits around something. And you have not been freed up merely for the purposes of just being free. And nor have you been freed up, according to the Bible story we're looking at here, nor has God's, have God's people been freed up simply to worship anything. It's so that they may worship him. Let my people go so that they may worship me. To further clarify worship. The way that worship is used in this particular context is this word here. Abad. Abad. Which means serve. Now, some of you are like, wait, wait a second. You're very sharp people. You have been freed up from captivity be, to be brought into freedom for that reason that doesn't feel like freedom. 
it feels like we were in a place of service. God does this elaborate rescue thing with plagues and Moses and this parting of the Red Sea and all of that stuff. And then he brings us to a place where we're supposed to do that. That doesn't feel like freedom. Remember, everybody is always worshiping something. Everybody has built their life already around something to which they've ascribed ultimate value. It could be just themselves. But what God is saying is, I want my people, essentially to, to sort of paraphrase it better, the idea of what's happening in worshiping and what God is doing for his people is that he's helping them, not helping them, he's helping them, well, yes. He's helping them rescue, he's rescue them. But he's, what he's clarifying is that worship is transferring of, it's just simply a transferring of allegiance. They are already under submission of one thing, and they're, all, they're going to be submissive to something else. They're going to build their life around something else. And what I'm saying is I want my people to transfer their allegiance from Pharaoh to me. The only way they're going to have a life of fullness, of wholeness for which they were intended, is if they can transfer their allegiance to me. Because I and you, we, are never more fully ourselves than when we are worshiping God. Now, you may not agree with that. You may not believe that. You may, you may subscribe to a particular other kind of philosophy or belief about that. I get that. What the Bible will tell us is you are never more yourself than when you are worshiping him. You're worshiping God. Now, Jesus will speak about worship. He's talking to a woman in, famously by a well in John chapter 4. And he'll talk to this woman. And her, she's part of a group of people called the Samaritans, which has a whole long story. But at the particular conversation he's having with this woman... The conversation that they have is about where will God ultimately be worshipped. Because there's endless debates. At the culmination of all things, when God comes to rescue his people, is it going to be on a particular mountain? Is it going to be in the temple in Jerusalem? And to which Jesus says, here's what worship is going to look like. This transferring of allegiance from one thing to another, here's what it's going to look like. He says this. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now I should tell you this really quickly. Most often the word for worship used in the Hebrew Bible is a word that basically means to bow at the feet of, to fall at the feet of. Which this is the Greek version of that here too, the idea of worshiping here. It's the idea of falling down at the feet, physically falling down. And he says, they'll worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, remember the debate here is about where is God supposed to be worshipped. And the location was always so critical. There's tons of holy places in the ancient world that mattered. They had a particular kind of place. It was a particular kind of property in which there was God was more there than somewhere else. And Jesus is saying, that's not going to be the issue. It's going to be that people are worshipping in spirit and in truth. Now let me, there's a lot, we could do a lot with just those two verses. We could spend multiple weeks on it. I just want to give you at least one level of what this looks like. And there's more levels to that to the, than this, but I'll just give you a couple of them. First is this. When he's talking about spirit, first of all, it's an inward, this is an emotional kind of conversation he's having. This is something carried by the Holy Spirit, but that has a spiritual tone to it. That a, the part of us which is fully emotional, invested, the core of our being, that's the kind of person who would be a worshiper. And that is coupled with this. It's with Jesus in full view, a right view of Jesus in full view, that people are worshiping without pretense, without dishonesty, without hypocrisy, without, being, without having it be just for show. I mean, you see all throughout the Bible, God is consistently harsh with people who are making religious spectacles for religious spectacles' sake. For the viewing of other people or for themselves or to hide other things that are going on. 
What he'll say is, Jesus will say, what's most important is that people are pouring out their whole selves without pretense or hypocrisy to worshiping me. Now, I want to do this. I want to take a look at a few ways in which this is actually expressed. Remember, this is a freedom to worship. And I want to give you a sense at least of a couple ways. There's a lot of words for worship in the Bible. I'm only going to cover a few of them, but I want you to see a couple of these words because they come up later in a second. So I want you to see a few of these words, and we're going to try them out, okay? Halal. Now, remember, you are intended to be a worshiper. These are responses. These are responses to what God already is in your life. Halal. A loud and clamorous praise. This is where we get the word hallelujah. It means praise be to God. Halal praise. Now, some of you have been in churches or you come from churches where people will spontaneously shout that out. Like you're, you know, the pastor will be teaching, he'll get all warmed up or she'll get all warmed up, whatever it is, they'll, they'll be, you'll have this big thing going and someone will shout out, hallelujah, and the pastor will go hallelujah, right back to him, right, kind of like that. Now, some people have that. Now, you, if someone did that in here, some of you would be like, oh my gosh, do they not know where we are? We don't do that here. And I just want to challenge that a little, Okay. So right now what I want you to do, just to see how it feels, I want you to try it on. Now, granted, I'm going to show you seven ways, and we're going to try on some of them in this room. Some of them we're going to try on immediately. You'll try them on in a little bit, perhaps. But I want you to try this on just to see how it feels. Because it might actually do something to you, so be prepared, okay? So on the count of three, you're going to say hallelujah. You're like, oh, no, I never said that before in church. I know. It's just kind of the place where people do it, okay? All right? So on the count of three, you're going to say it. Some of you are like, I'm not saying it. You're going to say it. Because everyone, you know, now here's what I'm going to say. If you see someone not saying it, okay, you don't need to shame them or judge them. You just can know in the quietness of your heart that they're an evil person, okay? <laughs> That's all. No, I'm just, we, don't wanna, we, don't, we don't need to judge anybody, okay? <laughs> so on the count of three, we're going to say hallelujah, okay? Great. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Ooh, see? Sure, everybody survived. Nobody died. It's pretty cool. It means praise be to God. That's all that means. Now, the second one you have is Shabbat, which means like a shout of praise. Like we tend to use it here, if you've been with us before, just as a woo. Just woo. Yeah, so we're, there, some people already know. So you're going to try that on too and see that you won't die. All right? You think you're going to die. You won't die. I promise. Okay? It's good for you to do this. These are words God has called his people to be a part of. When they, so, count three, we're going to go ahead and say woo. Okay? Now remember... Everybody will know secretly in their own hearts if you don't do it. One, two, three. It's not enough. Some of you, yes, some of you are like, whoa, next. Get on to the other praise words. We're going to do it one more time. Okay, you got to get there. Because we're going we're gonna to have a response here in a little bit where we're going to sing and respond. And you're, this is like, you've got you to be there. It's for you. This is what you were intended for, all right? On the count of three, Rue. Woo, not Rue. <laughs> if you need to say Rue, go for it, okay? One, two, three. Woo, there we go. Now we're there. Okay, now you're with me. Okay, a couple other words. Here we go. Tehila, which sounds like. Someone said tequila. Don't say tequila. <laughs> tequila. All right, now it's a spontaneous hymn. You have seen, you are around, uh, perhaps you're around, uh, you have little kids, or you're around little kids, you have nieces or nephews or whatever. But little kids. They are always busting into song, and they are completely secure about it. They're never self-conscious. I'm making some things in the kitchen, and now I'm eating the Play-Doh, or whatever it is they're doing. <laughs> they don't have, they don't, they have, you, they're, they're ne- you know, like, you, you, when you catch a little kid singing, they're never like, oh, was I supposed to do that? Is that weird? Because if you do it in your office, where you're working, all of a sudden, I'm playing with the stapler, and... Uh, da, da, da. People are like, what are you doing? 
uh, nothing. Uh, it's, uh, I was, uh, I, was uh, <clears throat> I was talking to my kids on the phone. It's just, I was, hey, what's up, kids? Singing them a song. It's weird. I was, uh, your phone's in your pocket. I know. It's a new thing. It's a new device. You can't even see it. It's tiny. It's in my ear. Anyway, you're just trying to figure out because it's so embarrassing. But there is something about having a spontaneous hymn, which apparently people do when they're worshipers, when they're responding to God. I have a, uh, anybody, anybody kind of, I'm going to admit right now that you're kind of a singer to yourself. And you have, a, you, have a, you have a tune that you always go to, a default tune. Anybody? Yeah, I'm not going to make you sing it. I'll sing mine, so we'll all be on the same thing. But here's, you know, some people are like, yeah, I kind of do. I do. It's embarrassing. Okay, my song is this. It's, it's a song called Escape. That's a song also better known by, by the words. Do you like pina coladas? <laughs> Everything. My default song for, and I will sing everything like this. My, and I've seen it on my kids. And my kids now know that, that that's a real song. They thought I was kind of making it up. Because it was in the movie Guardians of the Galaxy, which they have now seen. Which, you know, they're like, hey, wow, some of those lines probably aren't appropriate. Do you like me in the night? Oh, I don't know what that is. Anyway, but, but the song I'll sing. No, you don't have to sing. Someone's going to sing it? Wow, there we go. Way to go. My people. Now, I just want to caution you, this is not a song we probably should sing in church, but hallelujah, someone just said, mm, yeah, amen, woo, yeah, woo. So here's, here's how I'll sing the song, like this morning, literally. Do you like eating sriracha? Do you put it on your eggs? I mean, it's like, I, I can do it. And if I was going to sing a song spontaneously about God, it'd have to be to that tune, which would sound, do you know God is our Father? The Holy Ghost and His Son. I mean, I would be. This is the way I would. This is the way it would sound for me. That would be my song, and that would be every song we sing. That's how it would go. A spontaneous hymn, Tehila. Some of you are going to have a spontaneous song. Hopefully, it'll be better than that one. So, Mar, these are musical. So, first you have these words that are shouted out or spoken. Then you have words that are. These are. This is more musical. So you have the idea of plucking the strings of an instrument. When you have people, God's people encounter a great victory in their story. Always, it's celebrated like with these words, along with some other ones. But I'll keep going. These are all words of physical posture. The first one is barak. Some of you are like, wait a second. <laughs> it's a word literally that means blessing too. It's the root word for the word blessing that you see in, in the Bible. But it's also a kneeling and a bowing. That's the posture people would take. You have the word to, uh, todah, which is hands outstretched in surrender. Now, I'm not entirely sure. Well, here's another one. And yada, hands raised in adoration. I'm not sure what, what it's not specify how this is adoration, this is surrender, or this is surrender. I mean, that's not really a clear thing. The idea is that people are physically involved in their response in worship. It isn't simply that people sit there or stand there or whatever. So here's what I want you to see. There is something happening to people when people, God's people, frequently get themselves trapped. They choose the wrong God. That God turns out isn't real good at protecting them. Foreign armies come in. And then they go, God, we need you to rescue us. And God rescues them. This is the ongoing story of God in the Bible. God rescues his people. And then they celebrate. And always, this is, I mean, the, the general rule, the way they celebrated, these people would have a loud song. They would be raising their hands. They would be kneeling down. They would be, it would be a loud and calamitous kind of thing, as so as if to say, we are overflowing with joy. Because this is what we were intended to do. We were intended to be free to worship him. I'm going to show you Psalm 98. Just see if you catch some of these themes that show up in Psalm 98. It's a psalm of victory. 
Sing to the Lord a new song. Remember, there's a new song, a spontaneous, made-up new song. For he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him, which is just another word for rescue. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He's remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy. That's a woo. To the, shout for, there you go, go for it. Shout for joy to the Lord and all the earth and burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Now, I have to tell you, when you have, the, the expression here is never that people would worship God with sort of easy listening, 94-7, the wave, you know, kind of in the background, smooth jazz. Hey, turn it down, we're going to worship here. You know, it's, it's never, it's always this explosion of sound. Some people, not, I don't get this anymore, people used to email me all the time, hey, um, can we turn down the music? It's just a bit too loud in our room. And, and I don't, you know, basically what I have to tell them is we can't. Because if we do, people will hear me singing. <laughs> and I don't want to ruin their day. Because I sing loud. And I only reason, and, if, and I'm in churches sometimes where I just work. Because I go to visit lots of churches. And the church is, you know, all beautiful. But sometimes their music is like so tame. And I'm like start singing and people look at me like, I'm like, oh, we don't, we don't sing loud here. Sorry. I'm just, it's super, I'm super embarrassed because I don't have a good voice. Now. If you need it to be quieter, the best thing we got for you is we got earplugs for you because we have to keep it loud in here. Almost always what you see in the Bible is a loud response to who God is. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Verse 7, let the sea resound. Now notice, all of creation is already designed and intended to worship God. The entire thing. We have the option, at least for the time being, to opt out. Of worshiping God. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. I love the language here. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. He's going to be a fair judge. And everybody went. Yeah. Now, the tone in that psalm is is one of shouting and singing and blasts of horn and bursting into song. It is not one that is tame. It is one of great joy. It's one of singing and jubilation. Now, I'll give you my own story about how my own story of kind of worship. I grew up, I, I started going to church when I was um, right around junior high age. That's why I have particular care for our junior high and high school students. But uh, I, I went to a church where people were, like the, the part which was designated the worship part of the service, which is, you know, music generally. People would kind of, it was like kind of background music. People came in and it would generally have a message and then it was like people were out. It was out the door. And if anybody, like, from a different church came in and did one of these, it was like, oh, no, they're raising their hand. What happened in here? This is just bedlam. It's crazy. You know, what are we going to do? And it's like if, if someone decided to stand up as part of the response, people are, you know, it's like the band's playing and someone stands up. It's like, oh, gosh, this is so uncomfortable for all of us. A person is standing in here. <laughs> Can someone tell them to sit? Why doesn't someone from the stage tell people to sit down? Because this is so awkward. You know, it's just all of this kind of like, we don't do that. A lot of people stand in, kind of hands in their pocket, whatever. So for me, my own journey in this was, maybe there's something to be said about the way in which worship responds. Remember, worship is the orienting of our life. But at least in terms of the way worship is celebrated, maybe there's something to be said about the way people actually do this that might mean something. And so I began to start taking steps to try to figure out if I stepped into this, what would happen to me. Now, this is my own, my own story here. But as I started to go, maybe there's something to this. 
Maybe those people that are a little bit more expressive, they're like not completely crazy. So I try to put my hand up just a little bit. You know, I don't want a low-flying aircraft to chop it off. You know, I just want to, <laughs> one of these, you know, like, okay. Like almost like, can I, you know, you know, calling the teacher, you know, like, can I just, throw, you know, I was just like that about. And here's what I found. In all of my terror, A, I lived. B, I began to experience something I could only describe to you as greater freedom. It is not the result of a peer pressure moment where it's like, oh, you better do this or everyone will know. That's not what this is about. It was like, I, got, I had to do it for me. It couldn't be for anybody else. But I stepped into it and went, gosh, this feels like this is kind of right. And it was a little bit, it was a little bit courageous and I was a little bit scared and I did it anyway. Woo. Some of you, there we go. Some of you, hallelujah, some of you are just like I once was. And some of you are like me looking now and you're like, you got a next step. And I want to tell you, here's the thing. We're going to have an opportunity to respond as we do every single week. You're going to stand up and we're going we're gonna to respond in worship, in song. Some of you, and I just want to give you. I've been in places where I felt pressure to do stuff and I never went back. This isn't pressure. I mean, maybe it is, but I hope it's not. <laughs> okay, so here's, here's what I want to offer to you. Everybody here has a one degree next step to take. Wherever you are now, between you and Jesus, and we're going to have a moment to respond. The band's going to start coming up any second now. But as you get to respond, you have a next step, a one degree next step. For some of you, it might actually be trying to sing the words. Like for a while you've been like, oh, I see those words up there. I wonder why they put those words on the screen. <laughs> Give it a shot. See what happens. For some of you who have been, you know, woefully trapped in the world of your hands in your pockets. Or your hands like this. Again, for fear of some kind of, maybe a bobsled will come by and take your hand off. <laughs> who knows. But for whatever it is, there's a part of you that's kind of locked up into this particular way of, you know, sort of standing there. Maybe for you, just put your hands like this. Or if they're right here, you just put them outside your pocket, outside, like, like that. It's one degree. Nobody gets to judge whether someone else's degree is more significant than the other. Everybody's taking their own step. Now, there is a story of a guy in our church. I don't know who he is. I never met him. I just heard this story. Who was a pocket, hands in pockets guy. Who then went like this, literally went like this. All right. Fingers. Fingers up. That's all I got. Now, some, I'm just like, this is all I got. I can put my fingers out just on my sides. That's all I got. Some, I mean, some of you are going to try. You're going to be in the middle of this. We're going to get a response. You're going to be singing, maybe for the first time. Remember, it's loud enough. No one can hear you. You're going to be singing. And you're going to go, I'm putting my hand up. I'm terrified. Oh, I'm totally scared. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, okay. <laughs> okay. You did it. You didn't die. But that's all right. What you have to understand is you are either in the process right now in your life. You are either in the process of having been rescued to being taken to a place of freedom. Or you are about to be rescued and being taken to a place of freedom. No matter where you are, there is a place God wants to rescue you from to take you to. And you are a work in progress. And there is a reason to celebrate with spontaneous song, with words of praise, with hands extended in adoration. There is a reason to do that. Woo, is right. Do not let this time slip by you. Some of you go, I just, this isn't me. It's not me. It is actually more you than you realize and you're just afraid of figuring that out because what if you become one of those people who actually lives free to worship oh no so here's what I want you to do 
Everybody stand up. This is not your one degree, by the way. There's another degree come. This is, this is, everybody's in the same playing field here. I'm going to commission you to respond in worship with your whole heart, spirit and truth, in this next time of response. Don't cower away. Here we go. Jesus, right now in front of you, Father, are a group of people who have reason to celebrate, who have reason, despite whatever it is that they're facing in their lives, to say thank you to respond with gratitude for the freedom that you've given. So, Father, would you hear our hearts, would you hear our spirits singing to you in full voice, taking at least one degree of courage to step further into what it means to be a worshiper of you. So, Father, hear us. Give us the courage. Allow us to experience the closeness of your presence as we respond to you in these songs. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's sing.